Abi ya o ya. Thank you. For yet another day. Your breath. Your grace. Your mercy. Your truth. Your knowledge. Your wisdom. That you share with me. Thank you Father. Thank you, Father, for any that have an ear to let them hear the words, but listen to your message, Father God. Go to the word and seek your face. Um, very valuable lesson learned in, in class last night um, and something I wholeheartedly disagree with, but here's, the, here's an important thing. You all must know, must know, without a doubt, no doubt in your mind, that opinions are far cry different than facts. And they don't make what is expressed by an individual a fact and for a reason for you to get upset and get mad and get angry with them. Always seek guidance of the Spirit Use those things I tell you as a bullet prayer. Use them quick. Nehemiah did so. But here's the thing. I wholeheartedly believe to be a fact and not merely an expressed opinion that I give to you that the Bible is indeed the infallible truth from God and there is no bending truth. So when you hear somebody tell you that just be cautious pray the guidance of the Holy Spirit but be very cautious because that person can be a hindrance and a danger the word of God this Bible God gave us to be a guidebook our roadmap and it is indeed indeed it is an instruction book or instruction manual for our walk through life. It is indeed all three of those together. And in order to see this, in order to understand that, in order to be able to comprehend anything that I'm sharing with you, you must read the Bible. In reading the Bible, listen to God speak Listen to the Holy Spirit to guide you. I'm finding, I'm finding things. I, I, I may have shared this with you already. I know I shared it with a couple of people at church. But when I got up in the morning the other day, and this is to glorify God. This is not any by any means or shape any attaboy to me because with my bodily health and definitely the strength of the Lord, oh my goodness, yes. I started my study and reading and all and going through this um, larger print Bible and going through and transcribing notes. When I finally got done and ready to close it up, I looked at the little clock. I have a little ticker up here in the corner and it shows me the date and the day and the time. I had been sitting here at my desk for nine and a half hours in the Bible studying, marking, doing, guiding, and then sharing, of course. But that is not to glorify me and say, oh, wow, what a great guy. He did Bible study for nine and a half hours. No, that's not, oh, great me. 
and that's not a requirement to visit with God and practice his presence. I did that because I just got going in there and then the Holy Spirit kept me going. I kept finding new and different things. And it's to his glory that I was able to continue because, as I said, I I have a special cushion I have to sit on because my I get uh, achy bones and I just get, but his strength keeps me here and keeps me doing this. It is by his strength, not mine, by his. So that's to glorify God, to be in his Bible, in his guidebook, in his roadmap, and in the instruction manual that he has provided for us. All three of them are in there. But you got to be in the word of God. You have to seek knowledge. And as I've shared with you before, and we can find it in the book of Proverbs, and there's several other books, that we look for wisdom as a man would seek for a beautiful woman or a beautiful treasure, because it is indeed that. And it is a treasury. This is the other thing I didn't agree with. It is a treasury. It is God's treasure house. This book is full of treasures from God. And the vision that I was shown is that I get to go in and I get to take that stuff out. I get to bring it and share it. I am blessed to be able to do so, to be able to be a conduit, to share his word, to share the treasury, to pull out treasures. The Bible is described by many people in many different ways. The Greeks call it lagos. The, it's an army. It's described as an army or a collection. An rema. Depending on how it's said or the context, it's used for in, as different things, but is a sword. The sword of truth is in the armory, and when it's ready to be used, you can draw it out. And that doesn't mean you have to be warlike. It doesn't mean you have to be assaultive. It doesn't mean... Any, people get this odd connotation when you talk about things like that. And they get weird. And I, I heard something the other day. The, the term army was going to be used in context to Christians. Well, understand this is that people get things so twisted up and they get things so contrary to the actual meaning and there's several definitions for them. It doesn't have to be a militaristic operation or a unit that operates militaristically. Army is used for a large number of people. Man, that army of kids, they just invaded the, the county fair. It was just packed. It talks about a large number, a very large grouping. It doesn't have to be anything military. And the individuals stopped themselves because worried about being offensive or saying something that was going to offend somebody. Well, here's the thing about that. You don't want to be offensive. And if any way that you, you want to 
go away from it. But when you start to use something and you share it and you share it in truth, uprightness, boldness, courageousness, and truth, and it's righteous in the sharing that, and it's coming from scripture, and then you become apologetic and you become, oh, what's a, there was a word that I was going to use. You become, uh, I can't think of it right now. But don't apologize for the word of God. Don't apologize for saying something. Okay. We are an army. And we are in a spiritual warfare. So if people are going to get all offended by the fact that the word army is used for a gathering of people and a large, use the word entourage, okay? You don't want to be, you don't want to sound militaristic and, you know, like there's some kind of big top secret operation going on or whatever. It's not top secret. The word of God is to be shared by everyone. That's why I'm doing what I do. I'm about my father's business because we are told as a called Christian and called to be in service to others and to the Lord God Almighty, our sovereign King, that I accepted that Jesus Christ is his only begotten son, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and will be coming back as a lion of the tribe of Judah. And he will have an army. There will be an army coming with him. The heavenly hosts of, of heaven are going to be with him. And there is going to be some not good things happening. But it's all talked about. It's all truth. It's all real. And if you are believing that Jesus Christ is his only begotten son and that Jesus Christ is the truth, and know that he is we have a scripture here where I, I wrote it down. I know I did because I wanted to uh, make sure I shared it. Can't remember where I wrote it now. Oh, brothers and sisters, I'm sorry. I get forgetful. Oh, goodness gracious. But Jesus is called and he is called the way, the truth, and the life. And that phrase is used as our way to get to the Lord. That's in John 14, John 14, 16. And I thought I had it marked. I might have pulled that out earlier. I do apologize for this, but if we flip over to John 14, 16, I'm heading there right quickly. Fourteen six. John 14, 6 is actually there. And when Jesus is talking to the disciples that he's explained to them not to let their hearts be troubled, and he's getting ready to leave. And he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know. 
He'd been talking about this all the time with the disciples, but then you got Thomas, Didymus, always has questions, and doubtful individual. He used to harp on him about that. So Thomas said to him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? He'd been teaching them for a long time. And this I share with you because this is how it is with individuals that call themselves Christians or claim to be Christian, label heads or self-proclaimed, but they don't know because they don't read the Bible. They don't ask questions. And here's the other thing we shared, and I wholeheartedly agree with this, and I've seen it, and I know it's true because I do it all the time. God does not mind if you don't have an answer, <coughs> and you're not gonna have in some things, and it puzzles you, ask. There's scripture in the Bible. You know not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. You don't know unless you see. If you don't knock on the door and when he answers, I don't know. I don't know this. Lead me, God. When, before I come to sit down, before I get up in, in the day, one of the first things I say when I pray, Father, this is your day. Lead me, guide me, teach me. The Holy Spirit comes to do so. That's what it's for. That's what he told us it was for. So anyway, further reading here, John 14, now we're in verse five. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Is Jesus being boastful? Is Jesus being arrogant? Or is he being truthful? I am the way the truth, and the life. I say, nay, nay. None of the, none of the above. So let's go back over here to John 1, 1. Share this with you before. Let's share it with you again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Continue reading, contextual reading. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That was uh, Jesus' earthly cousin, by the way. I've shared that with you before. They were related because John was born from Elizabeth. And remember the story, maybe you don't, but the story is that when Mary was pregnant, she went to see her cousin, whom she hadn't seen for a while. And as it 
is told in the Bible that Elizabeth felt the child she was carrying leap within her. Felt the child leap within her. The baby recognized who Jesus was, is, and gave his mom, didn't kick her, said the baby leapt. Interesting thing about women in pregnancy, they know when the baby's doing certain things. They can tell you what the baby's doing. Anyway, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He provides all of that. He's the way that we get to God. And without knowing and sharing and declaring our knowledge of and knowing, we don't get there. You might, you might profess a whole lot of verbal mumbo jumbo, which kind of goes out and floats around because you're not doing it earnestly. You're not doing it with heartfelt love for God or true acceptance of Jesus. You're just empty prayer. God savors prayers of the saints. Any true believer who has accepted that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God and accepts the truth and believes the truth and believes that the Word of God is the infallible truth which it is declared and has been proven too many times to be argumentative with any of these theological wizards or commentators that seem to always know better than anyone else because they have a piece of paper that is signed by a man or a woman who has declared that, oh, you did really good in your studies, in your books, but the main book that they don't pay attention to or they don't seem to quote from is the Bible. I have some I have some things that are going on and I'm praying about it because it's there, but I, I'm, I've not been told anything opposite and there's some things that I just mark and I take notes in. But these um, commentators are very cautious because they write a lot of things and this is where you have to be ready to go to the Holy Spirit and seek guidance. You have questions, seek guidance. Seek guidance. And we are told Jesus warned us, warned us himself. There are many, many, many false teachers that will come be not deceived, and that even the very elect may be deceived. What does that mean? Who are the elect? The elect are those that are true believers, believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. However, these commentators or these individuals have come in and maybe not so much in a willful way to disrupt your thought or your thinking and to guide you away, 
but they have allowed their self, themselves to become very pharisaical in their presentations. What do I mean by that? Well, the Pharisees had book knowledge. However, they didn't study the book much. They decided to set that aside because they had become so headstrong and so uh, highly opinionated. And then they started issuing these verbal commands that are were not scripturally based. They weren't coming from Torah. They had just made them up in their own heads. And none of it was factual. They just made it up because they found that they could get away with telling the people what to do and the people to do it, and they did it. Jesus ran into that when he cast out the money changers. The priests and all that were at the temple when the king of worship said, oh, you have to trade in your, your sacrifice. You can't take that in here. We happen to have a pen of blessed, already sacrificial animals, and you trade in this pen, we'll make you a deal. You trade that in, and this has got low mileage, it's got no blemishes, we'll give you a deal on it. All you have to do is give us your animal and such and such amount of money. They were in cahoots with the money changers that were taking money out there. On the money changers, they wouldn't allow the people's money to be put into the temple coffers. You had to have temple money. Prettier, shinier, had some kind of special casting or they were really clean or, or somebody had done a chore for the day and, and polished them off. And so they were making the people come in and exchange their money for temple money and they had to pay a gratuity, an excise tax or a surcharge or an exchange rate, however you want to call it, and they had to do that. People believed it and they were doing it. Well, it angered our Lord. And he cast them out, turned over their money tables. You have changed the house of prayer into a den of thieves. And he scourged them out. He knotted cords and he just he didn't beat them. So many people say, oh, look at Jesus. He beat them. He beat, those. He beat them up. No, he didn't. He scourged them. And a scourge was used to drive horses, camels, mules. And it wasn't done in a harsh, mean way. They just kind of gave them a little notion that they need to keep moving. And you have... And you've seen people that do it cruelly and meanly and um, they violate the word of God and the book of Proverbs, it talks about it. See the horse racing, I see I, I've got a problem with that. The horse racing and letting the animal go at what it, because horses have this, they have this very competitive, strong urge in them. When another horse starts running and they see it going by, then they want to start galloping and they want to go faster. But then you have them, they're so caught up in the money aspect that they start to whip the horses and they use these riding crops. 
and it has this little fold over of leather on the end of it. That smarts. Have you ever been smacked by one of those things? I had a young friend that thought it was funny and he was going around smacking people with one until he got it busted. It hurts. It stinks. What do you, do you think that horse, because it's a horse, it doesn't have pain? What did the ass say to Balaam? When he finally just fell down, the, the ass saw the angel that was there. The angel was going to kill Balaam because he had violated what he was told to do and he was going and selling himself and he was going to sell himself out and was doing that thing and then he was going to run and try to hide from God, which I've told you before, you can't do that. So the ass saw the angel and every time he made a turn, it was, the angel was there. The ass saw it. Balaam couldn't see the angel. The ass did. And this is one of the things that I believe that animals, for whatever reason, God allows. And that night that the the night that I saw my angel guide, guardian, and the bridge, I was given that vision. Why God allowed it. But my dogs knew something was going on and they were barking. And then they ran over and were standing beside the angel and I was trying to call them back to me. And the angel just gave me the sign, it's okay. They're okay, it's okay. So I just sort of sat back and then I fell back to sleep. They have this, they can see things in a different spectrum than we can. I believe that. So anyway, the ass saw of the angel and then when Balaam continued to go down the wrong way, the ass finally said, okay, that's it, I've had it, and threw himself down on the ground and was, and Balaam got out from under it and then started to, to beat on the ass with a, with a stick. Well, God gave, gave the ass utterance, which means that he allowed it to speak to Balaam. And he said, why are you hitting me? Why are you beating me? I just saved your life. The angel of the Lord was there. Every time he turned to the left or to the right, the angel was there. The angel was gonna kill you. And I just saved your life, but you're beating me for that. And Balaam begged forgiveness. But he was beating He was beating ass because it saw something he couldn't see. There's a lesson in that of, in and of itself is that we tend to things that we don't understand, we get angry for, we become angry, we want to argue with people, we want to fight. This is why the Bible is so important and this is why I, I disagree with some of these commentators and in particular, you know, great guy, and as I say, I, you know, he was expressing an opinion, but I don't buy it because the Bible is the infallible truth of God. It is, we are told that time and time again. But then he has decided that he has too many book smarts collected. It doesn't make him wise. It just makes him very knowledgeable. And quite honestly, some of the things that he was sharing, I don't think there's very much wisdom there. But that's okay, he's a really great guy and I'm not gonna argue or fight with him over it. Just a fact. The Bible is the infallible word of God. When you have a question, 
ask for guidance. God does not mind. You have not because you ask not. If you don't have the knowledge, the understanding, or the wisdom, which is the collection of knowledge to put together and be able to know how to use it, if you don't have that, ask. Ask. It's there and available. God will share it. God's our, God's a loving God. He is a loving God. And he likes to share, actually. Especially when his children come and say, Father, I, I would like to know. I want to know more. Share with me. One of the things that the Bible is definitely about is guiding us so that we know and we can have a personal relationship with God. And we need to pray guidance to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. My lead pastor has shared this numerous times, is that we have to look at many things through the lens of Jesus. Look through that higher visual experience. I got to share last night and it's true. You know, everything that we walk, we walk through the hills and the valleys and dark and, and all these different things. If you've ever had the opportunity to fly in an airplane, and I am deathly afraid of heights, but I like to sit by the window seat because I get carried away. I just don't, I don't pay attention to, unless, and when we're over the ocean, then I look down, I see these big cruise ships that are so tiny, goodness gracious, they look like a little toy collector's thing. And then I start getting a little nervous because that's a long way down there. But when you're by the window and you look out, you don't any longer see the valleys and the ups and downs. You just see a flat. Unless you see mountains way, way, way off in the distance. And then you can tell that they project above. But when we are seeking that higher visual experience that we are able to take, and have and share and we look through the lens of Jesus with that higher visual experience we see things we absorb things in an entirely different way so I say this about that or that about this reading experience in the Bible is not just going in as if you're reading a novel or a library book and it's not just a library book. This is a deed, and I will say it again, the infallible word of God, his truth, as he has inspired the writers, because God didn't write the Bible, and the Bible wasn't there when, in the beginning, when God was, his spirit was walking on the waters, and there was no earth made as yet. Earth meaning the islands and the land. It was just, it was without form and void. I feel the need, and I'm going to go back and read this. Genesis 1-1. And this is also tells me, I believe, is empirical evidence and truth, because it's in the word of God that the Holy Spirit 
has been from the beginning. And many of these alleged theological wizards and commentators will say that the Holy Spirit didn't come until Jesus left and asked for it. I don't buy that. And I believe that the Holy Spirit was with us all the time. And that there was a time actually in the New Testament where Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit onto the disciples when he was sending them out. So it was before he was getting ready to go up. Before that incident with Thomas and, and he was getting ready to leave and he said, but I will ask that the Father send another in my place. Well, the, we were all comfortable because Jesus was here. His 12 were comfortable because he was there with them. And they felt it and they knew it. They realized it. So they, they were good with that. Except for when he was getting ready to leave, then some of them really got sort of got a little twitchy and agitated and, and even some left and just walked away. Well, if he's not going to be here anymore, I'm not going to keep going. Well, that's unfortunate. But anyway, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void. There was nobody could look at it. It didn't look like a globe. There was no continents. There was no earth pushed up. There was nothing there. There was no separation from sea to sea. It was just covered with darkness and blackness. And darkness was on upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That's pretty powerful. And that tells me that the Holy Spirit was from the beginning. And then as you continue... There are more places and we find that. And we can also find more about the power of the word and the breath of God. And there's many, many places that talk about this, actually in the Bible. And we find that the locusts were brought in by the breath of God the wind that came from the east that blew an entire 24 hours, thereabouts. But it blew them in and it continued to blow and it blew all day and all night. And in the morning, the locusts were there and they devoured everything that the hail and the brimstone didn't destroy in the land of Egypt. Then Moses went to God and the scripture says he entreated unto God, which he was begging God to, to Pharaoh change his heart and to, to change his. So God relented to Moses' request. And the wind, it says, and the wind changed, it came from the west and blew every single locust out into the sea. There was not one locust left on the coast of Egypt. Not one. And they were pretty destructive. They were even getting into the houses and eating fruits and things that they had left out in bowls on the table. And they were, they were into everything. But we're going to go to Psalm 33. And verse six, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all 
the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. The breath of God is the Holy Spirit. On Pentecost, they said it was like a, a rushing mighty wind that comes from the throne of God. And then we're going to go jump down to Psalm 33, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. And what David is talking about here, he's not talking about being frightened. He's talking about that thing I share with you often, that auspicious fear, knowing that he is the sovereign Lord God Almighty and that we rever this and that we have reverence for him because he is our Lord, our God. And he shares with us that, that each and every single day that we get up, that he is not only our king and our sovereign Lord God, but he is faithful Great is his faithfulness. There's that song that we sing in church. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Each and every day it comes, it's different, it's new. We have to be accepting of that. It doesn't matter. There's nothing that we can do that's going to change all that. And we get so hell-bent on trying to be corrective of everything that comes into our lives. That makes us arrogant. It makes us prideful. It makes us trying to usurp the sovereignty of God because there's nothing that we can do that we we get ourselves to believe that we can alter that and that we can change it and it's up to us. Well, that's because we've been listening to too many self-help gurus. And individuals that mean well within the church body that are trying to convince us that Oh, I know a real good one, and, and they're a Christian. And then they might have a book that they've written that uh, is on the top 10 bestseller of nickel-dime stores, but because they have certain commentaries in them that other people are saying, oh, they're great, they're great, they're great. Well, they're not because they're teaching contrary knowledge, contrary to the Bible, because God is supposed to be our center. Jesus is supposed to be our center. The Holy Spirit is our guide, but they're they're telling you that you can do it on your own. You don't need anybody else, no matter what anybody else says. Well, that's not entirely true. Because God says that we come to him. He's our good father. Now, what they may mean is that you don't go to anybody else around you to your left, to your right, or up and down, and you're listening to what they're saying about what you should do, just like there are those that talk about how to be a Christian. Well, there's only one way to be a Christian, except that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, have faith in God, and have the Holy Spirit guide you and teach you and read the Word of God. The guidebook, the roadmap, and our instruction manual, because it's all of those combined in together. And God will share his knowledge 
and give you wisdom so that you can put that knowledge, collected knowledge together and know how to use it. And if you don't, then the Holy Spirit is to guide you. And we're not to live, it doesn't matter what all these other individuals say. You see, and I share this with you often, that that doesn't matter to me. And what's my phrase, my favorite phrase? I don't care. Not meaning to be angry or mean or upset, and I'm not. It's just that the only valuation, the only value that I put into anything at all is what God tells me and the Holy Spirit guides me to do. And he allows me to do this because I share his truth. He tells me and shares with me and guides me on what I should say. That all these circumstances that we think that we're able to adjust because we think we can, because we think like everybody else and they tell us that we can do it on our own. You can do it. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Or if you do, it's only a fleeting moment and then you realize that, oh man, I just messed that up. And then we get up and I, I get up like this and admittedly that I get up because my body is achy and sore, but God is faithful and he's our sovereign and he goes with me through the day. So I ask for that and he does. The circumstances, physical condition, you feel all out of whack and everything seems much more than what it was because of all of those things. But then you have to make a choice. Do you just give up or rely on God? He says he's going to be with us. So say you make a decision, you choose wrong. God's not going to stand there with his hands on his hips and point his finger at you when you come and you say, God, I made a mistake. And God tells us that we can come to him at any point in time, at any point in time, and say, Father, I made a mistake. I do indeed need help. Guide me, help me. I, I don't even feel like I have it within me, Father. And he's going to help us to crawl out of that slump, that ditch, that quagmire that we got ourselves into by trying to do it on our own. And part of what I was reading, it, it reminds me of a song that, um, I can't remember the words now, too long ago, I was young, but um, part of the verse is moment by moment. And this is why in so many places, I'm talking, Psalm, I told you that we find it in Isaiah and we find it, I think it's in Jeremiah, and there's a place where it talks about waiting on the Lord. Psalms had, there's, goodness gracious, see the book of Psalms, I think there's 12 or 15 that I found. I got, I, I did a quick count on it, I got it up here, 12, 15, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> I apologize, um, but there's 12 or 15 different, through the book of Psalms, from the front to the back, and it talks about waiting on the Lord. And this is what we have to learn to do. And he will give us his strength. Moment by moment. Remember, he gives us what we need. Might not be what we want, but we have to have trust in him, faith. Trust and faith in God. 
Same thing. Synonymous. Indeed the same. Trust and faith. That we lean on his everlasting, powerful, faithful arms. <laughs> Indeed, I'm sorry about that. Goodness gracious. I guess there's, I had a, a, a very dear friend that shared that there's some kind of virus that's going around everywhere. No, it's not the coronavirus. It's just some other stuff. So don't get all weird and in a panic about things. It's just something that's like they call it's a seasonal change thing. I get mine in seasonal. I had pneumonia and the doctor told me when I had that that I'm going to be susceptible to bronchitis and pneumonia for the rest of my life. And that's been many years ago. And at the seasonal change like this, it happens. It seems to have a, a time clock. But you know what? God keeps me going, gives me my breath. So don't get all agitated about what things come at you and how you're going to be done. And, and David wrote about this in Psalm 42, which is, which is exactly what people are doing nowadays. And, and even those that I see in church, it's so, it's sad to me, but I pray. I pray. Things that I do is I pray. David writes in Psalm 42, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior. That's Psalm 42, 5. Why are you so wickedly upset and sad about stuff? My goodness gracious, you're in the house of God. You were called there to come and praise him and worship him. And yet you walk around shuffling your feet. If the floors were made of dirt as it used to be, you'd be kicking up a dust cloud. You'd be looking like Pigpen from Charlie Brown. And you young folks don't even know about that. But anyway. Second Corinthians, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Second Corinthians 13, 4, in his second letter to them, he says, for to be sure he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power likewise. We are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him to serve you. I am weak, he is strong, and I am capable to do all things through Christ who strengthened me. That's in the Bible. That's his truth. In Jeremiah 31, 25, the prophet writes, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. If you're faint in heart and you just don't think that you can go anymore, God will satisfy and refresh you and pick you up. Brothers and sisters, do things in faith. Do things in trusting our sovereign Lord God Almighty. Do not, do not, do not lean into self. Do not go into the self-help gurus and just because they declare that they are Christian or you have a whole bunch of people that tell you, oh, they're good because they're Christian. If they're telling you to do it on your own and to ignore what God tells you to do, then they are not a Christian. They are doing that for themselves, to put themselves above and beyond. And they use, are usurping the sovereignty of Lord God. God is the king of heaven. 
the maker of all things made. And his only begotten son, Jesus, came and sacrificed himself, left left his heavenly home, left his crown, and came to earth, was born in a stable, slept in a manger, was wrapped in swaddling cloth that was used to birth lambs. He was indeed, as John said when he approached the river, behold the Lamb of God. Brothers and sisters, be blessed. You're in my prayers going out and coming in.